Well, uh, certainly stories that, that make us think, right? Stories of, of uh, where there's been great grief, but also great hope as well. And uh, you'll be able to hear uh, some more of those stories in your life groups. Uh, I do, um, well, actually, maybe I, I, I'm, my, oh, Gail, two apologies. Number one, sorry for saying God. We might, maybe we need to, we'll have some reconciliation. The other one is um, I do just with kids in, being school holidays and that sort of thing, and, and with the topic as well. Um, plan to be kind of quite brief this morning. We'll see how we go with that. But um, so there may still be questions about these passages after that. But uh, hopefully we get to see something of uh, how we can live uh, differently, having uh, been reconciled to Jesus this morning. So let's pray as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you uh, have spoken to us. You've given us your word, and that is a word for all people uh, over all times and places. And Lord, humble us today as we hear your word. Uh, show us where we might, um, uh, we might bring our, our lives um, further into uh, line with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought I might start with almost sort of a, I guess, a confession, or, or I don't know if there's a better word for it, but having, uh, as lots of you do know, but not everyone will, grow, uh, I grew up in the northwest uh, part of Sydney, so in the Hills District, and uh, to me, it sort of always felt a little bit like stories of Indigenous Australia, uh, felt kind of remote, distant past. The truth is, I couldn't tell you really uh, if I'd even met any Aboriginal person uh, growing up in that area, whether that's my fault or not, I'm not sure. But uh, I was doing, I was teaching scripture as, uh, as my job at um, Crestwood High School. It's not involved in history at all, but I just noticed that in assembly one day they were talking about uh, Nidoc Week celebrations and these sorts of things. And again, the stories all came from different parts of Australia. And it got me thinking, surely there must be kind of local stories about Aboriginal culture, about Aboriginal sort of history and people and, and these sorts of things. And so I did a quick Google. And, you know, I did find that in Kellyville, which many of you will know where that is, sort of on the, on the edge of the Hills District, uh, there had been a, an Aboriginal mission called Morella Mission. And it was somewhat infamous. Uh, somewhat infamous because, uh, I, as I read, I read a story of a, a, a woman who had been taken as a young child from a place mentioned in that video, uh, Brewarana, which is way, way west, northwest of Sydney. And that home housed many, people, many Aboriginal children from the Northern Territory from a very long way from Kellyville and from Sydney. And you know what was most confronting uh, about that story is that it was Christians who ran those homes. Anglican uh, pastors had run those homes in the uh, early part and into even the 1970s, uh, right where I'd grown up, right next to the sporting fields. The home, in fact, is still there. It's just now business and surrounded by sporting fields and other homes in suburban Kellyville, and that was what was so confronting about this story, that these, these missionaries had taken these children from such great distances. Now, can you imagine being dislocated, disconnected from your community by such great distance and taken to somewhere so strange? Uh, there were stories about how these children were at uh, Castle Hill Public School, and they'd be separated from all the other kids and not, not, not even integrated well into the life of that school. And it highlights the way, the tension that exists in Australia, that the gospel of Jesus Christ came to Australia at the same time or with the British people and the, the colonists at that time. 
And you can only imagine how difficult that might have been for many Aboriginal people to hear that message coming from those same people. Now, of course, for those of you who lived, to Tara, uh, moved, uh, lived in Taree all your, all your lives, it's, it's obviously it would be a very different story. Uh, and that was something that, or something that really struck us moving to Taree two and a half years ago was the visibility and prominence of Aboriginal culture and art, words. Even on the radio, the announcers will, gr will uh, 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 greet us in, in Gatang in the morning or other languages, uh, uh, local languages. Um, and uh, so that's been very interesting, very eye-opening for us. But you know what else has struck me is that we have our own local stories of uh, Indigenous culture interacting with Christianity. And it's not always been uh, easy as well. You know, it really uh, isn't that long ago that even Tari was, was segregated. And uh, uh, this week I had the opportunity then to think more about that, to sit down with uh, Uncle Mick Saunders. So some of the kids, I'm sure, will, will know Uncle Mick from school, uh, from Midcoast Christian College. Others of you will have known him for many years and to hear his story. And many of you would have known uh, his father, Horry. Obviously, <laughs> uh, never met him. Just have uh, I've only just uh, heard his his story on a podcast and through Uncle Mick. But listening to that story, reading his story, has shown me, and as many of you will know, that it's only within a generation or two of us, and for many of you in living memory, that uh, Aboriginal people were living at Perthleet, quite separate from the rest of town, under the control. Uh, of the Aboriginal Protection Board. Each Aboriginal family has been impacted by child removal, by racism, by poverty, losing language and culture. And I think that one of the things that struck me most talking to Uncle Mick this week was how in his 60s, it's only been the last 10 years that he started to learn his traditional language, Katang. And as I heard that story, I asked Uncle Mick, doesn't, like, how, do you, how are you not angry or resentful about those things, I was trying to imagine if these things had happened to my family. How would I not be angry, resentful about those things? And of course, it hasn't always been easy. And that's what Uncle Mick expressed to me. It hasn't always been easy, but Christian faith has been a part of his life, passed down from his father and his grandfather. And he could tell me stories where he has experienced the love of Christian community and seen that Christians have treated him and his family differently to others, breaking down that anger and resentment. So that's one encouraging story. But how does Christianity break down those barriers? What does Christianity have to say to people who've experienced pain and hurt and these sorts of things at the hands of other people? Well, as I said, we will look briefly at these two passages this morning. And we're going to see that Christians are people of reconciliation. We have been made people of reconciliation because of what God has done. But what part does that play in our lives? I wonder if the kids, did you hear any big words starting with R just then? There might have been a big hint just a minute ago. But as we think about that, what is the role of reconciliation in the Christian life? We're going to have a look at these two passages, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and very briefly, 2 Corinthians. And as, before we do that, let's think about the whole story of the Bible very briefly and see that the whole story of the Bible really is about reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Dictionary.com. It's uh, restoring our world to the way it's meant to be. It's bringing two parties who've been uh, uh, far away from each other together back into right relationship. And that's what God has been about in our world. Now, from the beginning, 
You remember it wasn't, there was no, there was meant to be no need for reconciliation. God created people to live under his good rule, under his good guidance in paradise, that beautiful garden that God had created for his people, Adam and Eve. But very quickly we see they're cast out of the garden because they want to do things their own way. They don't want to listen to God. And that brings conflict between God and humans and between humans and humans. There are consequences for turning away from God in the way that we relate to God and in the way that we relate to one another. And so as the Bible story unfolds, we see time and time again the difficulties and the chaos at times that comes about because people have rejected God. People are kicked out initially from the garden. They're taken out of God's presence. And people continue to reject God and to sin. But we notice as we look at, as the Bible unfolds, as we look at the story of someone called Abraham, that it's God who takes the initiative to bring things back together with people. He's the one who is a reconciling God. He makes a plan to bring people back to himself into right relationship. And by the end of the Bible, we see that not only is the garden restored after Jesus has returned, there's a great city where numerous people live together in harmony with God. There's peace and reconciliation. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Bible is God reconciling people to himself so that they can live in harmony. We can live with harm, uh, in harmony with God and with one another. And that's the work of Jesus on the cross. That yes, each one of us has sinned, each one of us has that need for forgiveness from God. None of us deserves his love because we've rejected that in, in our own lives. We've hurt other people uh, who he has made and he has created. But in his love, God sent Jesus to be punished for our sin. The innocent one is punished for our sin so that's not counted against us any longer and we can be reconciled to God. Now last week we saw that that changes us as we, uh, as we show love and grace to other people. And the story we looked at was the story of Governor Lachlan Macquarie, who believed that people could change, that, that criminals, convicts sent here to Australia could change and be forgiven and start to live a new life. And this week we're focusing on, I guess, how that starts, that begins, that, that process of reconciliation. Reconciliation, that, that end to a disagreement or conflict with somebody in the start of a good relationship again. So let's think about what is reconciliation in the Bible. What's the most important reconciliation we see in the Bible? We can see what it is in verse 13 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It's that people who were once hostile to God, once far away from God, are brought back to God, forgiven through Jesus' death and resurrection as they have, been, as they have repented and been forgiven and reconciled to God himself. Because of Jesus, we can have a right relationship with God, a harmonious relationship with God. We can be in a good relationship with God. And that is the most important relationship that needs reconciled out of any. Now, Paul's writing this part of his letter, firstly to Ephesian churches, then churches of the first century and to us today, because he wants to say that we need to be reminded of how we've been reconciled to God, and that when we've been reconciled to God brought back uh, to God, we are brought into unity, into community with other people who've also been reconciled to God. So that gives us a new identity in Christ. In other writings, Paul would say that now that we're in Christ, we have a whole new way of looking at the world, a whole new way of being. 
we become people who, uh, who, who are one with other Christians, no matter where they're from, no matter who they are, no matter what their background. And that includes what we might call racial divisions of hostility. So God's reconciling story did start with Abraham. And God did reveal his laws to the Jewish people. And they had, his, they had God's laws and customs. They had the temple and all those sorts of things. And, the, and then Jesus, of course, is Jewish. All the early Christians were Jewish, the very first Christians. But very quickly, the message of Jesus started to spread to other non-Jewish people as well. And so verse 12 speaks to Gentiles. I don't know if kids know, have heard that word before, what Gentiles means. It just means people who are not Jewish, non-Jewish people. And he says that those people didn't know his laws, didn't know his promises. They had no hope and they were without God. But he says in verse 13 that through Jesus, people from everywhere are brought back to God and reconciled with him and with one another. And so if you are a Christian here today, then you know that you need God's forgiveness. You've experienced that forgiveness. You now experience relationship with God. And that brings you into community, into unity with other Christians as well. And that impacts how we treat others. Because if we think about God's forgiveness, well, forgiveness could be, I suppose, you've done something wrong to me. And I forgive that. I'm going to walk away from that. I'm not going to choose to kind of get, uh, reven- uh, uh, get reven- vengeance over that thing. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to forgive you. But reconciliation is that step further. It's that step that not only am I going to forgive that sin, choose not to punish that sin or whatever it might be, I'm actually going to choose to fix our relationship as well, to be reconciled, to be one again. So if we're Christians, we're reconciled to God. But in that next paragraph, we see that if we're reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to one another. So it was encouraging to hear that Uncle Mick's experience of Christian community had been very strong over the years, and that's what his father continued to remind him of. Uh, Whenever he struggled with his his identity, with with various conflicts between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, his dad would remind him of the love of Christians that they had in their life, and that that brings us together. And so it reminds us as a church that we would hope and pray that anybody from any background, Indigenous, non-Indigenous, would be able to come into our church and hear about and experience forgiveness and reconciliation from God and be brought into community with us as well. Now, the truth is, the reason, one of the reasons Paul writes the, these paragraphs in Ephesians is because the early church struggled with how to live this out. They struggled to work out how, what reconciliation looked like in community with each other. So in community life, reconciliation is both the end of a process. I mean, you're either reconciled with someone or you're not. You're in a right relationship or you're not. But at the same time, you need to work at that, maintaining that reconciliation. We need to be constantly kind of reconciled to one another as well. Because often we can be so different and have to work things out. And that's what Paul was, uh, was facing with the Jewish and Gentile Christians. The wall of hostility is being brought down. Why? Because even in the best relationships, this side of Jesus' return, we sin and cause pain to other people. And we want to get our own way and our own preferences. And we often think what I want to do and what I want to see in the community is right. And what other people want to do is wrong. And we fight 
And that was especially true between the Jews and the Gentiles because there'd been a long history of division. Uh, Jewish culture was built around God's law and it was built around being a distinct and separate kind of people to show that they were God's people. And even the apostles, those first people that went and spread the news about Jesus' resurrection, were astonished when Jesus asked them to move beyond the Jewish people and to go and preach and teach about Jesus to non-Jewish people. Shouldn't we be trying to make them Jewish or impose that kind of culture on them and these sorts of things? But after some time and debate, and you can read about that another time, the early Christians worked out that they weren't going to impose Jewish culture on Gentile Christians that they wanted to bring down those uh, barriers of hostility. The Jewish culture was so different. They didn't dress the same. They didn't eat the same things. They observed different rituals. But as the Gentile, as Gentiles came to faith in Jesus, the Jewish people realised they needed to break down those walls of hostility, as Jesus had already done that. And this is where the Bible shows that Christianity is not bound to one culture or expression of culture. Paul says, in verse 15, that Jesus has fulfilled the law in his death and resurrection. So he's set aside that part of the law for Christians. The Old Testament, in many ways, has served its purpose in pointing toward Jesus and, uh, and, and, and guiding the Jewish life. But now people do not have to take on many aspects of the Jewish law, culture, and customs, and we see that debate being played out in the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 15. The Jewish and Gentile Christians are reconciled to one another. Such different cultures come together under Christ because they're all, as verse 19 says, fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household, built together as a temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. They are to be one, reconciled, brought together by Jesus. So what kind of reconciliation then is needed in our context? Well, one thing I've been reminded of is that then Christianity is certainly far from just a Western religion. We've already seen that Jesus is Jewish. Many of the very first Christians are Jewish. Christianity first flourished in the Middle East and in North Africa. Jesus is God of the whole world. He's not bound to one particular culture or expression. There's something really unique about Christianity in that all around the world you'll see people worshipping Jesus as Lord with very different cultural expressions and ways of doing things like that. We don't, or the Bible, doesn't impose one particular dress code or language or culture on people as some other religions do. We can translate the Bible into different languages. We can dress differently depending on what culture we're in and all these sorts of things. And with all these differences, we're still one. We come together as one. Now, that does remind us then that when in the past, maybe some, or even, even now, uh, some have imposed aspects of British culture on Aboriginal people uh, that, that weren't biblical, well, that was wrong. But just like with any culture, the Bible's principles and teachings will challenge and critique any culture. We see that in various parts, again, of Acts, when Paul is interacting with uh, people in Athens. He says, you've got a sense of God, but let me show you that God has revealed himself in Jesus. Now, as Uncle Mick told me, from having only relatively recently, really, been embarrassed about being uh, an, you know, owning Aboriginal culture to now celebrating being a Birupai man, he says it's not always easy to work out for him which parts of culture are, 
unhelpful and which are not, which customs and ceremonies to embrace, to be proud of, and which ones not to participate in. And that's a journey that many Aboriginal people will be having to work out. But for us, we take notice that Jesus is king of the whole world and not tied to one particular culture or expression uh, of culture. And so let's be aware when it's just our preferences. Our preferences are just part of Western culture and merely preferences and be careful not to impose those on other people. Now, Paul also mentions the, the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, because we're so brief, all I'll, all I'll say here is that in this in, this, in these verses, Paul says that having been reconciled, we become ambassadors to this world. An ambassador represents somebody to a place. Uh, to, to a place. We're ambassadors in the world. So as we go about our daily lives as Christians, we're co-working with Jesus in this ministry of reconciliation. As reconciled people, we know how great that is. We know how great it is to be reconciled to God and in relationship with him. So we want to help others to be reconciled with God as well. And we spread that message of reconciliation. And of course, that's also going to impact the way that we live. We want to be people who promote peace, who live as peacemakers in our world and do whatever we can to live at peace with other people. Now, how might we consider this in terms of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people? especially at the moment, I suppose, as there's so much heat around the debate around how we relate to Aboriginal people and we saw the disadvantage that many Aboriginal people face in our world. Well, perhaps one place to start is really just in our own relationship, in our own local relationships here. We've seen that, and you've seen, as this church has worked, has worked together with Aboriginal people, that there is a hope that even with past wrongs, God is at work in, in Indigenous communities, in Indigenous people. And he brings people from everywhere to himself. And all people everywhere can experience the joy of being reconciled to God. And that's why we've listened to stories of Indigenous Australian Christians this morning. To see that even with all the, the past difficulties, Aboriginal people have embraced uh, Jesus as their Lord. In fact, in greater numbers, as Mark McCrindle says in the Life Group material, than non-Indigenous people in Australia. Now, political actions and debates and things like that are one thing, but what, mo what can most of us do in our day-to-day -day lives to be reconcilers, to be people who have peace with God and want to have peace with other people as well and see them having peace with God? Well, surely one thing is about forming relationships. Be open and keen to forming relationships, sitting around a table, sharing a meal hearing one another's stories. Look for opportunities to hear different stories and to hear the history of Aboriginal people. For non-Indigenous people here as well, I'm sure it means that we need to be humble. We can acknowledge the hurt and what they call intergenerational trauma that exists in Aboriginal communities. Now this week there's a lot of uh, NIDOC weeks around the Midcoast area. And you can easily find what some of those are on the Midcoast Council website. Perhaps you could get along to one of those, just to listen and just to learn and be gracious and humble and hear stories of Aboriginal people in Australia. And perhaps one thing we should really be thinking about as Christians is being very different in the way that we approach the conversation and the debate about the voice uh, referendum. Again, I urge us all, myself included, to be humble 
as we, as we approach that political debate. Now, you might have really strong opinions on that and be firmly decided one way or another, and that's fine. But remember, you could be wrong. You're not God. You don't know everything. You don't know. You can't perceive all consequences down the road. And so bear that in mind when you're talking to people who disagree with you. Be humble enough to read articles and opinions you disagree with. Uh, there's a website, uh, uh, it's called the WADA Project, uh, with all due respect, if you remember that. And they have listed all of the Christian organisations that have given a statement for or against or undecided on The Voice. You could look at that. And uh, if you forget that, with all due respect, WADA Project, ask me later and I can point it to you. Actually, put it in the church life email. But be humble to, to read and to listen to voices that you might not normally. Maybe that means having a look at another media outlet that you don't normally look at. Um, ABC listeners could listen to The Australian or something. <laughs> I don't know. But let's be humble to listen to other points of view, to admit that we could be wrong, that we're not God. And then to be humble with people who we disagree with. Remember to listen more than we speak, being quick to listen, slow to speak, and to ask curious questions so that you can truly understand someone's point of view. And pray about your response to that referendum. Take your decision to the Lord and ask him to give you guidance and wisdom as we engage in that debate. You know, there are a lot of challenging, uh, challenging areas and challenging issues when it comes to uh, indigenous people across Australia. And the disadvantage can seem quite overwhelming. So ask the Lord to give you a heart for people, a heart for indigenous people, that they might be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another, reconciled to us. And be encouraged, I think, that as I've thought about this church and our relationship to indigenous Christians and indigenous people in the area, that... The gospel has brought us together. The gospel has brought indigenous and non-indigenous people together. Outside the offices up in the top story there, you might be familiar with the painting that's up there. And that's a picture um, from, that Pastor Russell Saunders uh, painted and gave to the church some time ago. And it's entitled Meringue Bullerang, Better Together. And it celebrates and recognises the partnership over many years between Perfleet Kids Church and Tari Baptist uh, Kids Church. Uh, it says they're coming together, making life more beautiful. I know in the past you've celebrated Easter at Rupright Park together. And we continue to have some form of partnership with the Perfleet Church by supporting uh, the, the bus that they use. Of course, in your personal relationships, you've seen how the gospel has brought you together and reconciled you as God's people together. That's the power of the gospel. I know some of you have uh, uh, run boys programs and all sorts of things. Uh, because the power of the gospel brings us together. And that's what we remember that's this morning. That's what we celebrate this morning. We celebrate that reconciliation that God has brought to us. And God brings to us as a community. As Christians, we are reconciled people. And we are reconciling people. Now at this point, I wonder how the kids have gone um, with our big word starting with R. Are any kids uh, willing to show us their designs? Alexa, uh, do you think any kids would be willing to show us some designs up there? Who's got a, a, a design they might want to bring up the front? 
Or is that too? Would Annabelle come up the front? She's looking at me going, please, Dad, no. <laughs> Who can guess the word? Did anyone guess the big R word? You did, Annie. Oh, Laura did too. What about Laura? What was it? Oh, you've forgotten. <laughs> the big boys down the front. What about, what about Annabelle? Did you, you had your hand up, Annie? What was it? The big R word? Reconciliation. Well done. That's right. <laughs> and you get a round of applause. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, on your way out then, if, uh, oh, is Amy going to bring some to the front? We could have a look at those together. Now, in celebration of being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another, we are going to share communion together now. And uh, as we do that, um, I thought, uh, the kids, if you want to... Oh, we've got some people. Oh, excellent. Mrs. Parker's brought some kids down. Let's have a look at some of these designs. Once the the kids have shown designs, uh, kids, it'd be good for you to um, go back and uh, sit with your parents for this time. Communion is a time we do. uh, We don't have a particular age where people can and can't take communion. We encourage kids if they believe in the Lord and um, you've had that conversation with your kids to participate in the Lord's Supper. Look at those. Some of those are beautiful. (laughs) What letter goes first? Don't know? (laughs) Who knows? Ollie does. Yeah. <laughs> 